Learning to be happy with Da. Hello and welcome back. In this episode, I'm going to discuss core wounds, which are sometimes referred to as primary negative beliefs. As discussed in other episodes, nearly all mistaken and limiting beliefs are learned, but all of them depend on a single misperception a misperception which we seem to be born with. We're either born believing or quickly develop a sense of duality. We believe ourselves to be inherently, independently existent and separate from the world we perceive. We don't perceive ourselves as one with nature. We relate to our mind, our body, and our sense of self, or I, as not arising from or even being part of the world around us. This causes us to make the distinction between what is us and what is not us. We feel ourselves to be the body, and looking at the body, we realize it is fragile and impermanent. This makes us anxious. The world is a scary place for a body. The body needs water, food, clothing, shelter, and who will give that to a child but their parents? And this is where a lot of mistaken and limiting beliefs begin. As children, we're completely dependent on our caregivers for everything. We need them to provide us with food, shelter, to protect and teach us. Unlike many animals, we can't survive on instinct alone. Human beings have evolved to depend on each other. For most of human history, to be excluded, forgotten, or abandoned would have meant certain death. And so we've evolved to be incredibly sensitive to inclusion, exclusion, approval, and disapproval as a matter of survival. A child needs their parents to survive, and it is the parent's love for the child which motivates them to take care of the child. It's imperative then that the child knows how to get their love, which will in theory help ensure their safety and well-being. As children, we go through a long phase of identity formation and egocentrism that places us at the center of our own world. As children, we tend to interpret everything as being about us. If our parents do not see us, do not listen to us, do not approve of us, we tend to think it's because there's something wrong with us, and this is experienced as a feeling of shame. This internalized explanation for why our caregivers, family, and friends don't approve of us, don't love us, is what gives rise to what are sometimes called core wounds. This is a deep feeling of hurt that takes the form of primary and secondary negative beliefs. The most common core wounds are believing things such as, I am not good enough. I am not important. I am alone. I am not safe. And remember, in most if not all cases, all of these beliefs are in relation to love, which is why they're related to shame. For example, We feel as if we're not good enough to be loved. We feel we are not important enough to be loved. We feel we are alone and have to do everything ourselves because we feel as if no one was there when we needed them. Why weren't they there when we needed them? Well, as children, we probably felt rejected and felt on some level that no one's here to help us or protect us 
because they don't care, because we're not worth caring about. In some way, all of the core wounds relate to a fear of abandonment. Abandonment isn't just physical, it can be emotional, when people become cold, distant, and withhold their affection from us. This is a form of emotional abandonment. You may think you don't have these core wounds or negative beliefs because you're not aware of having these thoughts. But as far as I can tell, most people have them to varying degrees, and most of us don't know it. The evidence we have these wounds can be seen in our secondary beliefs. These are patterns of thought which depend on primary beliefs. Children develop beliefs and behaviors that are intended to secure the love, affection, and support of the people around them. So what might happen if, when we were a child, we only got attention and affection for our looks, if we were praised and admired by people for our beauty, but not really recognized for anything else? Or if the people around us, such as our parents, showed more affection to our siblings for their beauty than they did to us? And let's take it further still, what if we were criticized a lot for how we looked or dressed by our families or even by the other kids at school? Well, we might form a secondary belief, like I'm only worthy of being loved if I'm beautiful, or if I'm not beautiful, then people will not love me. It could be phrased in many ways, but when it develops, it is a felt belief. It's unlikely it is something that we thought in words. It is probably subconscious. Following from this felt belief, we begin to think that being beautiful would make us happy or help us to avoid criticism and disapproval. Now we're preoccupied with what other people think of us. We want them to like the way we look or to find us attractive. We stop wearing and doing things we think other people will not like. What other people appear to like becomes what we like. What other people do not like becomes the things that we don't like. Because we feel this deep motivation to conform to what we think will secure the love and affection or approval of others. The desire to be liked for our looks, which we associate with worthiness, can give rise to more specific desires, like wanting to dye our hair, do our nails, have nice clothes, diet, exercise, and so forth. Not all of our desires are coming from attachment. It's possible to want, like, and enjoy all these things without being attached to them. And you may be wondering, how can we tell the difference? Well, remember, when we are attached to something, we take it very seriously. We feel anxious over not being able to get it, or anxious over losing what we already have. So within this example, if you didn't have the money to get your nails done and this made you anxious or feel depressed... It's possible you're attached to this, and that getting your nails done means more than you're simply liking it. Continuing with the beauty example, if we think we need to be beautiful, to be loved, to be happy, and simultaneously think that we'll never be beautiful, we may become depressed. This core wound may also develop as jealousy for people we think are more beautiful than us. We may feel either proud of our looks and appear conceited and self-absorbed to others, or we may feel embarrassed and ashamed. Both are proof we find our sense of worth in our appearance. Both are proof we feel insecure and not good enough. 
It's not necessary for us to remember our childhood in detail, since the present moment tells us everything we need to know. Our beliefs are not a relic of the past, but present in our minds right now. You can start identifying your negative beliefs by asking yourself these questions. What am I proud of, and why? What am I ashamed of, and why? What kind of things offend me, and why? What kind of things make me defensive, and why? What do I want other people to think of me, and why? What don't I want other people to think of me, and why? To help get you started, I'll go over some common secondary beliefs. Am I smart enough? If we were praised for being smart, for doing well in school, or teased for being unintelligent, we might receive the message, in some form or another, that I'm only worthy of love if I am intelligent. This thought gives rise to a desire to be knowledgeable, to always be right, and a fear of not knowing or not having the answer. When people criticize or doubt our intelligence, we feel insulted or offended and become defensive. We either get angry with or hate the person, or try even harder to change their opinion. We may pride ourselves on our grades as proof of our intellectual ability, and possibly be very sensitive to criticism, and feel defeated when we don't do as well in school or work as we expected of ourselves. Am I successful enough? If we were praised for winning, for being successful, and criticized for losing or being unambitious, we might receive the message in some form or another that I'm only worthy of being loved if I am successful. This thought gives rise to a desire to be successful in a fear of failure. From this one belief, a whole set of neurotic patterns can arise. We may feel insecure around people we consider more successful than us. We may feel the need to be busy all the time and feel guilty when we think we're not being productive. Am I obedient enough? If we were praised for always doing as we're told and criticized for questioning authority, we might receive the message in some form or another that I'm only worthy of love if I am obedient. This thought gives rise to the desire to fit in at all costs and a fear of being noticed or standing out is different. This person may fear all forms of confrontation and find their sense of identity in their gender, race, nationality, or religion. They may often go along with what others want to do. Their own thoughts and perspective may be easily influenced by those around them. This may also give rise to what is sometimes referred to as imposter syndrome. They feel like they don't know who they are. They feel fake or like they're pretending all the time. Am I considerate enough? If we were praised for being useful and helpful and criticized for being selfish and self-centered, we might receive the message, I'm only worthy of love if I'm useful. This thought gives rise to a desire to be generous and helpful and a sense of worthlessness when we're not capable of being helpful. This could be associated with not wanting to ask for help, feeling guilty when being in need, and feeling insecure in relationships when we don't feel needed. We fear abandonment, and this manifests as trying to make ourselves useful, helpful, or indispensable to others in order to combat the fear of abandonment. We may feel that if we're not generous and helpful, people may not like us. These are just a few examples, and how they manifest in each person may be different. But the important question here is, when will it be enough? What is enough? 
the idea we're not good enough or that we're unworthy is unacceptable to us. If it were acceptable, we'd stop doing all these things to prove to ourselves and to others that we are good enough. If we were truly defeated by this negative self-image, we'd stop trying to derive a sense of worth through our relationships and through our accomplishments. The truth is, we're constantly searching for something to prove these thoughts wrong. And that's precisely how these patterns arise. We imagine being loved will prove these thoughts wrong. We imagine being famous or successful will prove those thoughts wrong. We never stop hoping that something will prove to us once and for all that there's nothing wrong with us. But when is it enough? How beautiful do we need to be to be worthy of love? Do we need five people to think we're beautiful? Or 10? Or 20? Or everyone? When does it end? Similarly, how successful do we need to be? Do we need $100,000? $200,000? The measurement's subjective. There's someone out there who is not as conventionally good-looking, not as conventionally intelligent, and not as conventionally successful as you, who's happier than you are, who's content with themselves in their life. What we really need is our own approval. We only need to feel good enough for ourselves. But we often don't know how to give ourselves the love and acceptance we desire, because no one showed us how. Only someone who has realized complete self-acceptance can be a perfect role model of what acceptance is. And there aren't a lot of those people around. Meditation and counseling can challenge all of the limiting ideas we have about ourselves and help us to accept our thoughts, feelings, and choices without judgment. That still leaves us with the question, how do we feel enough? Well, as I mentioned earlier, the trouble is we want something which is undefined. The mind or ego wants to be smart enough, beautiful enough, or successful enough, but hasn't really told you how you'll know that's happened. There are two issues here. If your goal doesn't have a clearly defined end by which it can be recognized, you will never get there. As much as you appear to be improving, the insecure part of you will continue to compare yourself to others or to an idealized, imagined version of yourself. The second issue here is that we've forgotten to use the magic question, how? How will being more successful, or perceived as successful, make you happy? How will being smarter, or being perceived by others as intelligent, make you happy? Remember, there are no feeling molecules entering your body from the outside when you get a new degree, start your own business, or put on a little muscle. I encourage you to reflect on your personal desires and goals, especially those goals related to your sense of self or image. What are your desires? How will you know when you have achieved them? Why do you believe those things will make you happy? And how will they do that? Doing that should help, but the ultimate solution to our feeling insecure is to look more deeply at the nature of ourselves, the nature of identity. The mind or ego, is constantly in search of certainty and permanence. It often thinks in black and white. It thinks there are two truths, 
We're either a good person or a bad person. We're either smart enough or we're not smart enough. In truth, there is no static, unchanging self at all. What we have thought, said, and done in the past doesn't define us. It may inform what others think about us, and the past is a reflection of some habits we have formed, but even so, it does not define us. We will explore the nature of identity more in other episodes, but for now consider this. When you are being kind, you are being kind. When you are being mean, you are being mean. If you are kind to 99 people and mean to one, are you a good person or a bad person? The 99 may think you're kind and the one may not, but neither can define you. The only truth is present tense. There are your intentions, your actions, and their effects. It's no consolation to the one person that you were nice to to 99 other people. We'll be better off if we forgive ourselves for our imperfections and stop trying to pin down an identity. Keep envisioning and reimagining the person that you want to be and do your best, but joyfully have fun. No one needs your judgment, least of all yourself, but growing and adapting will be of benefit to everyone. I hope this introduction to core wounds and the secondary thoughts of am I enough has been helpful to you. And don't forget to check out the Learning to Be Happy Facebook group and my website www.theheartchakra.ca where you can get affordable counseling and spiritual healing services. All right, catch you next time. Bye. (music) Bye.